Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Just a sports report. This is UFC Fight Night thoughts and comments. Going to be covering the action from this card in Oxen. Where there we go. First first hurdle. We have stumbled. Austin, Texas. Oxton, uh, also known as Oxton, but most people know it as Austin, Texas. Big crowd. They definitely played a factor in the card as well in terms of finishes. I mean, pretty much every fight was a stoppage on this card it's already taken place so i know the results it started at about 6 a.m so i slept through i saw there were plenty of knockouts so i thought we're going to go back and we're going to cover it thoughts and comments style there were a couple of decision fights including the main event so i'll briefly touch on the decision fights i won't re-watch them i did watch the one on the main card Uh, i watched the main card decisions so i already kind of know what happened there but yeah i'll jump into the decisions Briefly, but this podcast, I'm mainly just going to be checking out plenty of the early finishes, giving my thoughts. Of course, we saw the main event, Kelvin Cater and Josh Emmett. That one went to split decision, so I will be watching those five rounds again. Uh, I was engaged in conversation with JJ, my mate, so he's been on the podcast before. So I'm keen. I think Josh Emmett did win, but I'm keen to re-watch that fight. Of course, the co-main event once again called off. Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lawson. Uh, It was Joe who had the issues, so Cowboy was good to go, but unfortunately that one has been called off. Now, everyone who secured a finish on this card was also given a $50,000 bonus, so, I mean, this card was emphatic when it came to the finishes. Austin, Texas definitely got their money's worth. Kevin Holland, he ended up stepping into that co-main event spotlight, and he is shining brighter than ever since moving down to welterweight. Now, I'm going to be keeping an eye in what my opinion was the best stoppage of the night. I haven't seen really any of them yet, so I'm going to keep an eye. And yeah, at the end, I'm going to pick which was my favorite finish because there were a hell of a lot of them. So keen to go through and see which one I liked the most. Plenty to choose from. I'm going to start with the first fight. uh, And as I said, I'll briefly discuss the decisions. I will watch the main event and talk about the decisions, but... Mainly this podcast is going to be highlighting the uh, stoppages and kind of what I see going forward for each of the competitors. So remember today, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report. And you can also follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. You'll be able to see as soon as new UFC content drops, which in saying that, there's another fight night next weekend. So This week will be the return of the preview and predictions podcast where I go through, preview each fight and give my prediction at the end. So best way to keep up to date with that, follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and of course on Instagram at not just the sports report. But now I've got the card loaded. I'm going to go through each fight one by one and give my thoughts. Yeah, I was a little bit off on this card, didn't have as much time to do my study. So we'll start with the middleweight opener. That was Roman Delidze up against Kyle Dorcas. Now going into this one, I thought Roman Delidze hadn't shown a lot on the feet. So I'm really excited to see this early finish because I just didn't think he'd had a great sense of urgency to get that finish in past fights. Whereas Kyle Dorcas, I actually thought he was going to be able to find the answers. I thought if he was to lose Dorcas, it would be by decision. Ultimately, I thought This one was going to go the distance either way. So I'd taken Kyle Dorcas by decision. I was very wrong on this one. So I'm going to sit down for the first time now and watch the opening fight of the night in a knockout that I think comes in just over the first minute. So I'll be back as soon as I've seen my knockout, or not my knockout, bloody hell. I've seen the knockout, Kyle Dorcas getting knocked out by Roman Delize. I'll be back in just a moment with my thoughts and comments. All right, well, that finish was about as comprehensive as it comes. Hugely impressed from Roman Delize, who, as I mentioned, 
Last couple of outings, like, had not been very exciting to watch. He clearly took that personally. I mean, after the fight, he even referenced Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping? Far out. Michael Bisping. Um, referenced that Michael Bisping last time on commentary wasn't super impressed, wasn't a fan of Delizze. Well, he came out to make a statement tonight from the very get-go. Even the commentator, Daniel Cormier, he immediately noticed, like, this intense presence of Roman Delizze in the octagon pointing to the commentary booth and like that was just unreal there was an early head clash it stopped for a second look after a minute and 15 seconds delizze got it done he got a beautiful left hook on kyle dorcas which really stunned kyle uh, and then just followed it up had him on the ground they got up were up against the cage and then just this clean knee landing flush knocking Dorcas out. I mean, that was a huge win for Delizze, whose record now moves to 10-1. and That was his first time in the UFC fighting in front of a crowd as well, so I think we keep him in front of a crowd. He clearly seems to lift, and we just saw the best showing from Roman Delizze in his UFC career to date. So for Roman, it is definitely onward and upward. There are a lot of different interesting challenges in that middleweight division as well. So for Roman, I'm really excited to see what's next for him. Maybe he'll back up pretty quickly as well, try and keep that momentum going considering, I mean, it only took him a minute and 15 seconds to get this one done. I don't think he took any damage at all, so couldn't ask for a better start to the card. And for Roman Delizze personally, he couldn't have asked for a better performance, but you can tell through his hard work and determination that he earned that one over Kyle Dorcas, who I thought was going to have the tools to get the job done, but that was as one-sided as it comes. And I said I was going to check and figure out which was my favorite stoppage. Well, that was a big one. So the bar has been set high already. A huge lifting knee that just, I mean, Dorcas was done. So Roman Delizze, congratulations. Middleweight has another star on their hands. And now we move into the next fight, but we see Delizze, the Georgian, he's in the octagon now celebrating, so very happy with that. As I mentioned, he called out Michael Bisping after the fight and said, you know, this is what I can do. So very, very impressed with Roman Delizze there. Can't wait to see what's next for him. And as for what's next on this card, well, it was Phil Hawes and Darren Wynn. I had Phil Hawes winning this one by knockout. I thought it could go to decision as well, considering that Darren Wynn has never been knocked out, or he hadn't leading into this one. I know Phil Hawes gets that knockout victory, but I'm keen to see how he does it. I did hear rumblings of this one, maybe in terms of the stoppage. I did see a bit of footage as well of Phil Hawes and Daniel Cormier, DC. So yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check this one out. Phil Hawes up against Darren Wynn. We do know that Phil Hawes gets the knockout win, but I haven't seen how. And yeah, it'll be interesting to compare it to our opening finish of the night um, from Roman Delizze and see how they compare. I'll have two to pick from already to say this one's my favorite so far. So going to sit down now for Phil Hawes up against Darren Wynn. I will be back after the stoppage with my thoughts and comments. Okay, wow, what a start to this card. Specifically in the middle di uh, middleweight division, both of the first two fights, both emphatic showings. First, obviously, Roman Delizze, but Phil Hawes. This was a different kind of knockout. Like, the, this was like just, uh, it was a real testament to how tough Darren Wynn is because he copped so much punishment for Phil Hawes. This is the best I've ever seen him. And he's been a prospect for a long time. And look, Dana White has high hopes for him, and so he's given him time to develop, and now we are starting to see him finally develop and fulfill that potential that we know he has in him. Obviously coming off that very disappointing loss up against Chris Curtis, but this was a very different showing. Phil Hawes absolutely dominant. Round one, about two minutes in, Phil Hawes absolutely dropped win, and from there, like, it, it was just punishment central. There is so much power in the hands of Phil Hawes that was on full display. And Phil Hawes was a level above Darren Wynn. Not just in the size department, but genuinely in the skills in this setting anyway. Power, speed, everything. He was just, he couldn't miss. He could not miss. And to Darren Wynn's credit, he copped a lot and his toughness was on full display. But after round one ended, like, 
Already Phil Hawes was so dominant. It could have already been stopped. The doctor at the end of the first round went and checked on Darren Wynn, decided he was good to go, but already on very shaky ground, like Phil Hawes got to work in the first round. I may even just, I'll grab my phone, I might pull up the significant strike numbers in this fight, but I'll jump into round two now. And after the doctor checks and says that Darren Wynn is good to go, they get back into action, but Hawes is way too good. Like he absolutely just pulverizes him for the entire round. And as it gets toward the end of the round, like I, everyone's still shocked, just shocked that Darren Wynn is even standing. Like such is the punishment that he copped in this outing. Having a look at the significant strike numbers, uh, I wrote as well that the fight could have easily been stopped after the first round and anywhere in the second round. Herb Dean let it go for quite a while, but Hawes ultimately got it done, just continued to absolutely rock Darren Wynn with punch after punch. He had one knockdown, did Phil Hawes, and Darren Wynn had 34 strikes to 126. 118 significant strikes for Phil Hawes. So in just a couple of rounds, 118 significant strikes up against 32 significant strikes, and he had a takedown as well. So Phil Hawes could literally, he couldn't have been more dominant. Like this one, it wasn't about a one hit and quit. This was about just total domination from bell to bell. So highly impressed with Phil Hawes. No doubt Megatron is now ready for a step up after that very impressive stoppage. And after Hawes and Delete have made statements, now I am most definitely excited to tune into their next fight. So they're building stock within the UFC, they're making their rise within the middleweight division, and yeah, things are starting to kick off at middleweight. So very, very exciting. Phil Hawes absolutely bulldozed through Darren Wynn on this occasion. Afterwards, there was the Daniel Cormier encounter. He was there to interview Phil Hawes. Phil Hawes basically abused him, was like, you know, I'm fighting you next. And DC's just like, what the fuck, man? Like, DC was very professional, uh, handled it like a total pro. And Daniel Cormier was actually very complimentary of Phil Hawes throughout his time commentating that fight. So he was giving Phil Hawes total credit. Obviously, Darren Wynn is a protege of Daniel Cormier's. That's kind of where the link was. Phil Hawes saying, like, you got on the wrong kind of horse on this one. Um, but ultimately, like, yeah, Hawes apologized. Daniel Cormier was nothing but complimentary of Hawes the whole time. And Hawes just got out of a very intense fist fight. So you've got to just, like, you know, sometimes in the heat of battle, yeah, whatever. You know, you lose your cool. And he apologized, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but that was definitely something that caught a lot of people's eye. Something that else that has been a talking point coming out of this one is the size factor for Darren Wynn at middleweight. A lot of people just feel far too small to be fighting at middleweight, and I can see a case for that. Like, this was the biggest domination I've seen in a while. I'm interested to see the rest of this card, obviously, given that there are a lot of impressive finishes, but Phil Hawes, like, it, it was total domination. So I think Darren Wynn potentially go down to welterweight, but he would know better than I do. So interested to see what Darren Wynn does going forward, but if he sticks around at, welter, uh, at middleweight, rather, then, yeah, potentially I'll, I'll be going against him again. So Phil Hawes with the win there. I had him to win by knockout, and he got it done. So very, very interesting um, for Phil Hawes. But now we move on up the card to some bantamweight action between Cody Steinman and Eddie Wineland. This one, a 59-second knockout, and there's a couple of things to get to after this fight, but Cody Stamen getting the win in 59 seconds. I haven't seen it yet, so very keen to see how it goes down. And he's up against Eddie Wineland, who I have a couple of notes on Eddie Wineland as well to get into after this fight. So now I'm gonna sit down, watch this bantamweight fight between Cody Stamen, Eddie Wineland. I'll be back thanks to the power of editing in literally like one second with my thoughts and comments. Okay, wow. Talking just before about Phil Hawes' total domination, this, Stamen destroyed Eddie Wineland. This was crazy. So in 59 seconds, like what I noticed was, this wasn't again like a one hit a quitter. This was absolute power packed into the space of one minute. So instead of the Phil's, Phil Hawes approach of really just 
rocking your opponent over and over. Stamen put that into fast forward motion. In 59 seconds, 27 significant strikes. And believe you me, all of those strikes were genuinely very significant. Not all to the head as well, some really, really powerful shots to the body. All the shots were really heavy as well. Plenty of power generated in the hands of Stamen. I was truly impressed. I know he's had some losses up against some really quality high-level opponents. And Wineland, look at the tail end of his career. This was actually the last fight of his career, which I'll get to in a moment. But 27 significant strikes in 59 seconds. Stamen just came out, put his hands to work, and got it done early. That also gives him the opportunity to now think about maybe coming back for action really soon and get another win under his belt. He's in a position in the bantamweight division where he can definitely make a bit of a run. He's had some very high-level opponents. Think Marab Davishvili, and I believe the last one was Syed Nurmagomedov, and Stamen came out to staying alive, and he got submitted or knocked out, like, immediately, uh, which I, I thought that was so funny, coming out to staying alive. He's obviously, yeah, he's got something, Cody Stamen, that is judging on this performance. So Stamen getting it done in 59 seconds. Going through the first three knockouts... Ah, I actually think Stamens was the most impressive so far. I'm going to say, like, Phil Hawes was up there. That was definitely a career-best showing for Phil Hawes. But for Cody Stamen, he packed all that same kind of domination into 59 seconds. And Wineland, I think he's announced his retirement, but I think he may have already had that in mind going into this one. So when you get in a situation like that and you're not fighting for a title, or you kind of know in the back of your mind that you're done... It, it is hard to lift, and Stamen absolutely, what's the word I'm looking for? Exploited that. There we go. He exploited it, and Cody Stamen, an absolutely dominant win. Very impressed with that, and I must say, that's my favorite knockout so far. So right now, the bar is very high. All of these knockouts were worth $50,000, and they all did get $50,000. But right now, Stamen's my favorite. Quickly on Eddie Wineland, he's been in many entertaining matches. Uh, I've always enjoyed watching him fight. Always game as well, steps up and fights anyone that is asked or that he's asked to fight. And yeah, he doesn't pick and choose. So I've always enjoyed watching Eddie Wineland fight. He's put his body on the line for our entertainment. So thanks for your contribution to Mixed Martial Arts, Eddie Wineland. All the best in the future. And for Cody Stamen, well, now it's his time. His time to make a run, very, very impressed. And that was my favorite knockout so far but now we will move into the next fight so let me actually have a quick look see uh what was next so we had a decision fight as i said i'm not going to go into the decisions i did sleep through this one um and i tipped gloria de paula who actually lost to maria Oliveira. i didn't see that one go down so it, i'm interested to see whether that was a good one uh both the decision ones female ones in the preliminary card and do not be mistaken i'm not skimming past these because they are female fights i'm skimming past these because they're decisions and i slept and the only reason i decided like hey you know what i will do the ufc thoughts and comments today is because there were so many knockouts so keen to get into the knockouts and then this weekend there will be a proper ufc thoughts and comments podcast where i'll go through from the start of the card and give reactions, decisions, every fight. So, and it'll be a live reaction. So a bit of a different take today, but yeah, in the women's strawweight division, Maria Oliveira getting it done over Gloria De Paula. We had 96 significant strikes, so a very high level of accuracy for Maria Oliveira. Um, oh wow, Gloria De Paula actually had more significant strikes. The takedown seemed to favor De Paula. Um, but yeah, the judges, Maria Oliveira, and I haven't seen it, so I can't credit. Uh, I mean, I can't complain, I'm sure. Maria Oliveira had the better performance, so maybe I will go back and watch that. I won't cover it on this podcast, but now I'm intrigued as to how this one actually went down. I'm sure it was very close, but Maria Oliveira, she now moves her record to 13-5, and five, getting this win over Gloria De Paula, and Maria Oliveira moving up in the world, so I'll be excited to see her again in action. And I will go back and watch that and just see see how, how I feel about the judges and whether it was right or not. But congratulations to Maria Oliveira. Now moving on to a featherweight fight with another very early knockout just after the first minute. 
featherweight action between Ricardo Ramos and Danny Chavez. I had Ricardo Ramos by decision, so yeah, I wasn't expecting there to be this many knockouts. Crowd factor, definitely something to consider. So now I'm going to sit down and watch Ricardo Ramos and Danny Chavez or Chavez. And yeah, it's another very fast knockout. So not a lot of time to wrap my head around it, but I'll be back in a moment with my thoughts and comments on it. All right. Wow. Another fight over before it really even truly began. So the fans in the Moody Center are getting their money's worth. Like already, if I would be stoked and I would like when I go to the UFC, I'm sure it's coming to Melbourne soon. I'll be there from the very first prelim. No doubt. Like, why would you not? Why would you not? So the fans that were there from the get-go are like, holy shit, we have just seen such an incredible string of performances. And this one, no different, Ricardo Ramos, just dominant. He just kept landing the spinning elbow for the first minute. And Danny Chavez just didn't seem to have any answer for it. And then boom, like the most emphatic knockout, spinning elbow, the elbow connects right to the jaw and just... Oh, it, it was brutal. It was brutal. Like, he literally just folded Danny Chavez. Chavez, like, folds down to the ground. He gets up, like, after it stopped, and he doesn't even know what's happened. He, he's confused as to what's just gone on. Rocked by Ricardo Ramos. Like, that was huge. That, I don't know, like, the Cody Stamen one had more just, he came out and just boom, 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 and wrapped it up, which I thought was awesome, but like the biggest knockout so far like a real one hit a quitter was this spinning elbow so there is some contention i'll save and it until before the main event which went to decision to reveal what my favorite knockout was so i'll think about it as the card goes on so so far cody stamen a massive contender and now ricardo ramos with a hugely impressive spinning elbow like a back elbow uh, if you haven't seen this, go and watch this one, definitely. Unless you don't like gruesome finishes, because this one, it is hard to watch someone get stopped in this fashion, but that's just a testament to how incredibly epic this knockout finish was. So Ricardo Ramos keeping this card going in style, that definitely the most brutal knockout of the night, although all of them, like, ah, oh, what a card, what a card. I am loving this, so... Let's get on to the next one now, but that, that elbow from Ricardo Ramos, seriously, if you love a good knockout, definitely go and watch that one. Now we move on to Court McGee up against Jeremiah Wells. This one also a very early knockout finish, and I had Court McGee winning this one by decision because going into this fight, he had fought 31 fights before this one, and he had lost by stoppage once from his 11 11 losses. So nine of 10 losses were by decision. He had only been knocked out once across 31 fights. And yeah, I was like, just what I saw last time, how he just totally dominated Ramiz Brahmaj. Um, it, it was just incredible. Like, it, was it the most exciting style? No, but it was very, very effective, which I can still definitely appreciate. So... Court McGee, I had him in very high regard. Like, he is a man that is incredibly durable. Only one person before this has knocked him out, and that was Santiago Ponzinibbio, and that was all the way back in 2016. So, look, like, Court McGee is the real deal, very durable, totally legit. Jeremiah Wells seemingly has made easy work of him. So, I haven't seen this. I am very intrigued as to how it's gone down. So, Welterweight action now, Court McGee up against Jeremiah Wells. I'm going to tune in after the fight. <sighs> Mamma mia. Wow. Okay. Look, very quiet first minute of this welterweight fight. The fans were actually booing. I was sitting there in anticipation knowing that something was about to happen and something very much did happen. Wells... He, he was trying a couple of times to throw these really big shots early. It, it wasn't working, and I'd say if I was watching live, I'd be thinking, like, I don't know if this is going to work against Court McGee, although the commentary team made a really good point, Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier, about how Court McGee cannot be just standing stationary and moving backwards. He needs to go forward. That's when his style is at his best. So there were some danger signs for Court McGee early, 
and yeah, he, he kind of came forward. Wells went for a left punch and he missed. Then he went for a right, missed as well, and then just came through with this left hook from hell, like floored Court McGee, absolutely. McGee was li literally like lifeless. Like obviously huge fan of Court McGee. He's such a good dude as well, has done so much good. If, go to his Wikipedia page, there's like a section literally on all the good shit and some of the tough shit he's been through as well and how he's making a massive difference. So Court McGee is someone that I, as I said, hold in very high regard. So when I say lifeless, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but that is literally, you know, and it's like, I hope he's all good, but that is literally the state he was in, like not moving on the floor, no response. So Jeremiah Wells, whilst he still has deficiencies, like there is no doubt he is starting to emerge as a prospect in the welterweight division, three straight stoppages and early ones as well. So. He looks like a really fearsome competitor. I am the, the key thing here is everyone who's got the win, I am really excited to see what is next for them. A lot of them early wins as well, so we'll be sure to see them again in action soon. That's the majority of them. And for them, it's a great chance to make 2022 a big year because it doesn't take too much. One or two years of really consistent, high-level form, and you can find yourself in the mix for a title shot or at least main event status and the like. So a lot of these competitors, Roman Delize, Phil Hawes, uh, Ricardo Ramos, and now moving to this one, Jeremiah Wells, they all have potential, Cody Stamen as well, and they can capitalize on that big time if they can get back into the octagon soon. So really, really impressive. Jeremiah Wells has done what so many men before him have failed to do including a younger welterweight Rob Whitaker, Like, people cannot finish Court McGee. And Jeremiah Wells, as I said, left Court McGee motionless on the mat. So absolutely unbelievable. Jeremiah Wells, no doubt, going to be keeping an eye on what is next for him. I'm sure the matchmakers, as always, will come up with a very sound stylistic matchup. So Jeremiah Wells impressing in huge fashion. And in the preliminary featured spotlight, we had a female fight between, I believe, flyweights, Jasmine Jazdavicius, the Canadian of the Dana White's Contender Series, and she actually made her debut officially for the promotion, I believe it was earlier this year, at the start of this year, defeating Kay Hansen by decision. So I was actually pretty buoyed by the prospects of Jazdavicius. I went against her last time, and I actually liked what I saw from her a lot up against Kay Hansen. So she went up against Natalie Silva, and... I hadn't done the preview and predictions podcast, which I'm currently working on the preview and predictions for the upcoming fight night coming up this weekend, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, but I hadn't done my full research, so I actually hadn't seen a whole lot of Natalie Silva. This was her UFC debut, but she was highly impressive looking at the numbers. She had significant strikes, 96 significant strikes to 31. And she had two out of three takedown attempts landed with Jazda Vicious having O from six in the takedown department. So Natalie Silva has clearly had a very, very impressive debut. I also skimmed past the Maria Oliveira one. It was a split decision earlier on in the card up against Gloria De Paula. And yeah, split decision. The fans, some fans were booing. So after I've done the podcast, I'm actually going to sit down and watch both of these fights so I can get a much better read, especially this Natalie Silver one. It was the featured prelim. I know that Jazz Davicius is very quality. So Natalie Silver could definitely be one to watch in the flyweight division. And I'm, I'm going to go back and watch that fight. So that was the preliminary card action. So much so much to get into. I mean, Roman Delize, one minute and 13 seconds, all it took for him to knock Kyle Dorcas out cold. That was into Phil Hawes and one of the most dominant displays I've seen in a while over Darren Wynn, getting the knockout in the second round. Cody Stamen followed that up with an absolutely emphatic one minute of just total destruction. Less than a minute, 59 seconds was all it took for Cody Stamen to get in the knockout over Eddie Wineland. 27 significant strikes in 59 seconds. Eddie Wineland retiring after that as well. 
Maria Oliveira getting that decision win over Gloria De Paula. Definitely going to go watch that one back, but as I said, I can't really comment on it because it's not fair. I haven't watched it, so I don't really have a proper read on it. That's why I will go back and watch it. Now, then we had Ricardo Ramos with that spinning back elbow on Danny Chavez, one minute and 12 seconds in, followed by Jeremiah Wells, one minute and 34 second knockout of Court McGee. That was highly impressive. And Natalie Silva over Jasmine Jazz Devicius. So that was the prelims card. We have one, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry, I had to count. We have six fights on this main card to get into. And the main event was a decision fight very close fight as well i did watch it as i said but i will go back and watch it round by round and give some thoughts on the main event considering uh, how much was at stake in that fight but first of all it's time to get to bantamweight action with tony kelly up against adrian yanez who was representing brazilians all over the world and brazil but they're all over the world i mean i live here in melbourne australia with two brazilians both my housemates now in this new place are Brazilians and I like Adrian Yanez and I don't like Tony Kelly but I'm not going to dwell on it it's not something I really need to get into what he said I just don't like his vibe and his general attitude I think that's fair to say and Adrian Yanez I like a lot he was a prospect under the one to watch banner which if you haven't heard me say that before I have a list of fighters under the one to watch banner uh, someone like Jeff Molina Aaron Blanchfield and previously Andre Fialo up until Jake Matthews stole that thunder so now I'd have to say Jake Matthews, Jack Della Maddalena, some of the names that are ones to watch, Casey O'Neill and Adrian Yanez looks like he's emerged back into that category. Uh, Tony Kelly like this, this was a fight a lot of people wanted to see, everyone wanted to see Tony Kelly get finished, oh not everyone, he has his fans as well, um, but Gilbert Burns, UFC welterweight, Adrian Yanez, he put the bounty out. He said, I'll pay you extra if you can uh, get the finish. And Dana White gave him $50,000 for this. So biggest win of Adrian Yanez's career so far. He is now an honor honorary Brazilian, although he is American, uh, from Texas as well, which is where this card was. So really keen to get into this main card opener. Adrian Yanez up against Tony Kelly. Holy cow. Okay. That was very satisfying to see. Uh, Tony Kelly getting fucking beat the hell up. Tony Kelly was talking shit apparently, like I, I miss weight as well. So he called the Brazilians dirty and then doesn't even like you know go the clean way and make weight. He misses weight, which you would could call dirty in itself. So yeah, fuck, fuck Tony Kelly. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, he's no slouch though. Like he's an awesome fighter, very very quality fighter. We saw that up against Randy Costa with the round two knockout in December last year. So no doubt he was not someone to take lightly. Tony Kelly. No no wonder how you feel about him. There was obviously the crowd frenzy, like the action. It took a bit to pick up, but in the post match interview, Adrian Yanez talked about how Tony Kelly was talking shit and mid fight, and Yanez just went nah. I've had enough of it just started teeing off the crowd the texas crowd getting behind their texan in adrian yanez he just started teeing off and tony kelly couldn't do shit and adrian yanez finished him in the first round it was emphatic as hell and then yanez flips him the bird on behalf of brazil and people around the world so very satisfying to watch that was a great knockout a lot of eyes on that fight and people talking about that as well and yanez I think I said before that he lost before. I think I muddled it up. He actually won uh, by decision, I believe. I just picked the method wrong. So he actually hasn't lost in the UFC. 5-0 has one of the longest win streaks in the division alongside names like Jack Shaw, Mirab Davishvili, and Aljamain Sterling, the champion. So Adrian Yanez, he talked about Sean Malley in the post-fight interview, and that could definitely be a road that they go down. I think that's a fight O'Malley would definitely take and like his chances in as well, and the fans would definitely get around it. So Adrian Yanez, he is under that one to watch category. He officially gets that tag. I thought he'd lost because my memory is shite, but he hasn't. So I don't know how he got out of my one to watch. He is still one to watch, very much so. So yeah, definitely keep your eyes out for Adrian Yanez, delivering the most satisfying knockout of the card. Best way to get the main card started. And now we move on to a middleweight fight that I was super keen on. One of my favorites in the middleweight division, 
Julian, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Marquez up against Gregory, Robocop, Rodriguez. This was no doubt going to have fireworks. I thought maybe this would go to decision. I had Gregory Rodriguez winning by decision, but middleweight's that division where I'm always very wary of a finish and them not going to decision once they get a bit tireder in the second half of the fight. So this one, I'm really interested to see how it went down. I was actually hoping Marquez would win. I'm a big fan of his, but you cannot deny that Gregory Robocop Rodriguez is definitely a prospect in the middleweight division. You'd have to say ranked opponent next for him after this, but I haven't seen it go down. So now it is time for me to delve into Gregory Rodriguez and Julian Marquez in the welterweight division. Middleweight division. Blimey. My bad. All right, we've got some birds chirping as well. Don't mind a bit of that. Uh, they're chirping away there, aren't they? Now, Robocop, Gregory Rodriguez, was absolutely deadly in this fight. It was only a round one affair, and yeah, look, he just unloaded all round. And Julian Marquez tried, tried to get himself going, threw some strikes of his own, but Gregory Rodriguez just on another level. He absolutely flattened Marquez three minutes and 18 seconds into the first round. We have ourselves a prospect. Like, this guy could legitimately work his way into the rankings and beyond and become a legitimate contender at middleweight. And anyone who's been following the UFC closely recently, everyone agrees he is a genuine prospect. Now we've got a car alarm. Uh, I'll give it a moment till this car alarm's off. I'll be back in a moment with my thoughts on the finish because Rodriguez, I, I think, oh, there we go, the alarm's off. I think a top of 15 opponent for him next. I think that could be a good shout. He's a very high level fighter. It is hard to get ranked fights because they all want to fight guys who are ranked higher than them. So they're not always keen to fight guys outside that top 15. But most definitely like Rodriguez is absolutely a gun. I don't believe he's ranked. Uh, I'll actually have to check the rankings. I've always got that ready on my phone at the ready. It's always very interesting, especially with the movement. Uh, I don't believe he's in the rankings. Having a look, no, he is not. So yeah, Gregory Rodriguez, like I could see him facing a Kelvin Gastelum or someone like that. So there's definitely potential for Rodriguez to go onward and upward from here. For Julian Marquez, he, it's so good just to even be seeing him in the cage. I'm a huge fan. I'm fortunate to see him lose like that, but he'll be back bigger and better next time around. But the night belonged to Robocop. An absolutely immense finish, and we have a genuine prospect at 185 pounds. Next up, we had a decision contest. As I said, wouldn't be jumping into the decisions. Damir Ismagulov got it done over Kutsaladze, and 24-1 and is Damir Ismagulov's record now. He is a major prospect at 155 pounds, especially given Dan Hooker, uh, we don't know exactly. He's announced apparently it's going to be him and Clay Guida a bit later this year. But ultimately, Dan Hooker, there's some question marks around him. Conor McGregor and what he's going to do, question marks around that. Could Chandler spend some time at welterweight? Could Poirier spend some time at welterweight? There are a lot of questions to be answered. So the lightweight division, there are definitely spots up for grabs in terms of someone making a genuine run and turning themselves into a superstar. And Damir Ismagulov definitely has that kind of caliber written all over him. So Damir Ismagulov getting a great win. He wanted the finish and wasn't able to get it, but yeah, just touching on that quickly, remember the name Damir Ismagulov. He is no doubt one to watch at 155. 24 and one is his record now. And yeah, it's time to start paying some serious attention to Damir is Magulov. That led us to our next fight. We had Joaquin Buckley up against Albert Durayev, is a, who was a Contender Series graduate at 185 pounds. Big night for the middleweights. Huge night for the middleweights. Obviously, we had Robocop just before. We had the opener with Roman Delize. And of course, we had the fight after that with Phil Hawes. So plenty of middleweights stepping it up in a big way on this card. And in this fight, well, Buckley and Duraev used to train together and Duraev poked the bear. He kind of said, like, I'm going to get it over this guy easy. And Buckley, well, he took that personally, as they say. 
And I think round one, like Buckley definitely showed the better of it. Coming into the second round, at the end of the first round, the damage to the eye of Albert Duraev was very visible, extremely swollen, and very early in the round, Buckley with a left hand absolutely drops Albert Duraev in the second round. The eye now is a major, major issue. Like, you look at it and it is just completely blown up. He can't see out of that eye, and round two comes to an end, and... You've got to give credit to Joaquin Buckley. That cut didn't just appear on Albert Duraev's, Duraev's eye. So the damage has been very much on full display for everyone to see. And the doctor takes a look at Albert Duraev and decides to stop it. So the damage has been done. Like, there's no point with an eye like that. I mean, it's a huge target. You don't want to be taking too much further damage against an absolute savage like Joaquin Buckley. You just can't afford to take those risks in the UFC against like, you know, everyone, especially at middleweight, like you take a big hit like that. Oh, so definitely the right call for the doctor to stop it. And that is a TKO win, technical knockout for Joaquin Buckley. He is developing very, very nicely and three straight wins for him. So Joaquin Buckley definitely moving up the divisional ladder. And I'm very intrigued as to who's going to be next for him. Because middleweight, fast becoming one of my favorite divisions now. I know there was a bit of time where it was lacking a little bit. But Andre Muniz, he's one that I'm a huge fan of. Alex Pereira and Sean Strickland is one that we've got coming up. That is definitely something to look forward to. And yeah, I mean, we've seen prospects tonight as well. All over the joint. I can't, I'm forgetting so many people. But middleweight... It's starting to really, really excite me now. So another middleweight stepping up, Joaquin Buckley. And after the fight, he showed respect to Albert Duraev. And it's a big night. That was the best we've seen Joaquin Buckley look. I know, obviously, the best moment of his career so far was one of the greatest knockouts we've all ever seen, that spinning heel kick knockout. But this was the best and most well-rounded that Joaquin Buckley's looked. So he's definitely moving in the right direction. I cannot wait to see what is next for him. And a quick stat. With that finish now, this is tied, this card, for the UFC record. Most knockouts in a single night. So that is incredible. That is why I had to cover this. I was like, how could I not cover this? I'd be more than happy to sit down and watch this. So I've been enjoying it. And now it is time for me to sit down. I already watched it, but I'm going to re-watch it. Uh, the co-main event, obviously, because Donald Cerrone and Joe Lawson scrapped again. Doesn't look like that's ever going to happen. Um, and this was moved into that co-main event slot. Kevin Holland, no doubt. He, at welterweight, is a genuine contender. Like He's got time to build a run, and he's shown before that he can stay active. And we don't need to get too ahead of ourselves, but... Kevin Holland, like, this is the division for him. I felt that up against Alex Oliveira, and, yeah, he, we are seeing the fruits of his labor, of doing that weight cut, really taking himself to that next level as a professional mixed martial arts fighter. Also, black man, uh, he's a hero. He's a hero on the streets, in the cage. Uh, he's a hero to the fans as well, a shit talker, loves to run his mouth, loves to get under his opponent's skin, and ultimately loves to bang, which is why he was matched up against a fellow welterweight that loves to bang in Tim Means. And so, yeah, we had ourselves set what was going to be a fantastic main event. I had Kevin Holland winning this one by knockout. Now, he actually got it done by submission, so I'm glad I didn't put money on this one because I would have been like, damn. But Kevin Holland, like, I am so, so highly impressed with him since the move to welterweight. Like, it just... Everything's aligned perfectly on that front, so I can't wait to see what's next from Kevin Holland. But firstly, I'm going to sit down and re-watch the co-main event, and I will be back after the submission win with my thoughts and comments. Alright, well, it was just as impressive the second time around watching it. Kevin Holland, he's a real problem in the welterweight division. Now, I'll start with round one, and Holland up against Means. Kevin looked fantastic in this new division, obviously big mouth making the transition in his last outing up against Alex Oliveira. Uh, but he's just gone from strength to strength. And Tim Means throughout that first round tried to utilize his takedowns and the wrestling, which is an area where Kevin Holland has shown weakness in the past. But Holland didn't seem too phased. And then toward the end of the round, he just absolutely stung Tim Means with a really, really nasty punch, like directly 
square in the center of the face. You could see Tim Means reel out of it and visibly like on his facial expressions, you could tell he was in trouble. And Holland was trying to wrap it up, just didn't have enough time at the end of the first round, but he wrapped it up very early in the second. A big right hand and then Tim Means attempted to wrestle, but Kevin Holland, he was having none of it, locked in the Darce choke for the submission win. So highly, highly impressive stuff from Kevin Big Mouth Holland and, or Big Mouth Kevin Holland rather. And yeah, fighting crime out on the streets. He He's a guy who definitely applies himself. And yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Holland. Have been for a while now, as have a lot of people. I mean, this was his 15th UFC appearance in only the matter of a couple of years. So highly, highly active fighter. And that is what I think really works for him because it gives him a chance to make a run in the welterweight division. So can he go all the way to the belt? I'm not sure, but I'm very, very excited as to what the future holds for Kevin Holland. And he said he took psychedelics for the first time and he had a vision of him holding the title. So psychedelics Holland, he's a different beast and he showed that on the weekend. So Kevin Holland, an absolutely fantastic performance. And I think next they'll probably put him up against a really high level wrestler or grappler. The last couple of fights have been kind of geared towards what should be an exciting fight for the fans and mostly on the feet. But I do think that's the next test for Kevin Holland. We'll be going up against someone who can exploit the holes in his game that has been shown to be exploited before by the likes of Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori. So look, I am highly, highly excited about Kevin Holland going forward. And I I think that's the next test. Put him up against someone who's going to really test him out. And he's definitely learning as he goes. So it's been fun watching the evolution of Kevin Holland. Another very significant win for him on the weekend. And before I get into the main event, I said that I was going to say what my favorite knockout or finish was across all the many finishes. But you know what? I honestly loved them all. I really did. It's like having, what, like nine children, ten children, if you count the submission finish. Uh, It's like having 10 children. I'm like, geez, I don't even know which one's my favorite. I can't even remember like three of these children's names. So uh, unfortunately for no one, because this is really not that unfortunate, I don't have a favorite knockout. They were all my favorite. And I know that's kind of fence sitting, but they were all unique in their own way, uh, truly. And really, really impressive. And all of them were meaningful in terms of moving the fighter up the rankings and not in the top 15 but just like the divisional ladder per se so highly finish every enjoyable every finish sorry i'm losing my mind losing my marbles every finish was highly enjoyable and that leads us into our main event which we know went five rounds to decision josh emmett getting the win a lot of people had kelvin cater winning it Some people had Josh Emmett as well, like just as many had Emmett. That speaks to how close this fight was. I had JJ over, who, friend of the podcast, been on regularly for the UFC content, uh, usually on for thoughts and comments. We were having a discussion, uh, the the topic of discussion, quite silly actually now that I think about it. So we were watching, but I couldn't really give a great read as to who I thought won the fight. Not that it ultimately matters because the judges were the ones that got the say, but what I'm gonna do, and what we usually do round by round for the main event, is go from the end of each round and give thoughts and comments. So end of round one, give comments and so on and so forth, unless there's a finish, obviously. Uh, But a lot of the main events do go the full five rounds. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have a look at this main event with Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, major title implications as well in terms of next title shot. Arnold Allen, obviously someone that I really believe is ready for a shot. Um, But yeah, Kelvin Cater with a win here, I thought would have had a place to say like, I'm next to challenge for the title. And that's why I think Josh Emmett like does deserve some credit. I've seen some people saying like, oh, no way he should get a title shot next. But I actually think Josh Emmett, very deserving. I think he'd be pretty fitting pick. Although Alex Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, we're gonna have to wait and see who will be the featherweight champion. And there are some guys in the rankings in front of Josh Emmett, but a very big win for him. I'm gonna get into the featherweight main event right now, starting with round one, and I'll check back up at the end of round one, going through all the way through to the end of the fight. And look, I'm not a judge. My scoring 
uh, is not official or anything like that, or even very legit, but I'll just take into account what I see. And if I was to judge this, I would say what I'm looking for is one, damage. I wanna see who causes more damage to their opponent. Think uh, Joaquin Buckley and Albert Duraev, that massive cut over the eye. And then even when Duraev's wrestling, it's like, okay, well, I mean, clearly like he is beaten up. So I'm gonna be looking for damage, control time, any grappling exchanges or clinching up against the cage, who has that control time, but ultimately damage is gonna be uh, what I favor more than control time unless there is high activity. So if there's high activity in the control time, then I will very much take that seriously. Uh, but if it's just kind of clinching up the, against the cage, then I'm gonna take damage as the more, uh, what I'm looking for really in this one. And of course, intent. Who's actually looking to end the fight or trying to win the fight rather than to just get through and do enough to win on decision. So I'm looking for damage. I'm looking for control time. I'm looking for intent and obviously things like takedowns and the like. So I'm not gonna go too much into the scoring because as I said, I'm not a judge and I prefer to talk about the other elements of things given that, yeah, I, there are many, many people whose opinions on terms of judging such as former UFC fighters hold a lot more weight. So I try not to do a lot of it, but I know this was a contentious decision win. Many people with a lot of different opinions and that's why I thought it'd be fun to give my opinion round by round on Calvin Cater up against Josh Emmett in the featherweight division. Sitting down now for round one. I'll be back in a moment with my thoughts and comments. All right, the first round in the books. I give that one to Josh Emmett. I'd have Emmett up one and oh. I said damage was a factor. Uh, I think although there was a cut opened up on Josh Emmett just above the eye by Cater, I think ultimately still, although Kater not showing any cuts or bruises, I still think Emmett had the more of the damage uh, in terms of the execution. Like I think Emmett got up into the damage department. In terms of intent, both guys taking a little while to feel each other out, work each other's ranges, and just waiting for one to throw something and make a mistake so that they could counter. But Josh Emmett, he was throwing more intent out there looked like he was trying to win more than trying not to lose. So I had Emmett up on both those levels. In terms of control, he did shoot for the takedown, did Josh Emmett toward the end of the round. Cater, he snuffed it, didn't get taken down, but Emmett still came out of that and landed some nasty strikes. So I think Josh Emmett up uh, after the first round. Gonna go into the second round now. Emmett up one nil in my books. Now gonna check out round two. All right, now we've reached the completion of the second round. Uh, looking at that, I thought Kelvin Cater was especially impressive in the first stages of the second round. He was really evasive. Josh Emmett was throwing bombs, but Cater, like Emmett just kept swinging for air. So Cater, I think that defense, the defensive display was what impressed me a lot. I think that counts, that definitely whilst isn't effective in like hurting your opponent, not getting hurt yourself, I find very impressive. Of course, Josh Emmett's cut is opening up as well above that eye. He's starting to bleed a lot more. Looking at the damage aspect, I've taken Kelvin Cater. I thought his jabs were really effective, but Josh Emmett had his moments as well. I just think that Kelvin Cater's defensive ability and his effective jabs was what kind of set him apart. Although Josh Emmett did throw plenty out there, but I think like I wrote down Cater's evasiveness was a big factor for me. The damage I gave to Calvin Cater with the effectiveness of his jabs. Obviously Emmett in the cut as well, in the eyes of the judges, they see him bleeding. That obviously counts a lot for damage. Although Josh Emmett not really showing any signs of that slowing him down. As far as control, well, I think Calvin Cater had the control with the defensive ability, although Josh Emmett really started to come into his own toward the end of the round there. As far as intent, both of them had intent, but more so Josh Emmett. He wasn't able to get things going in the first stages of round two, but he really did get things going toward the end there, which is why I can see many people having him up 2-0 at this point. Although with both of them having intent, I think the execution was better from Kelvin Cater uh, but no big shots yet landed, so 
this was a very, very close round. I can see why people can see it either way, most definitely. Uh, at the moment, I'm thinking Kelvin Cater. There were no real takedowns to report on. Uh, but Josh Emmett did finish the round very, very strong. So my verdict is one and one. But, but 2-0 is certainly not out of the question and absolutely not outrageous to suggest uh, that 2-0 mm. could be what's, what's happening, especially when Josh Emmett's corner, they've told him, you're 2-0 up. So, uh, yeah, th- I think that is what happened. I believe the judges gave this round to Emmett, which I can absolutely see why. Uh, in my opinion, which is a lot more unqualified than the judges, I have it 1-1. So for the sake of the podcast, having a bit of fun here, uh, not discrediting Josh Emmett at all as well. Huge fan. He is fully deserving of the win because you never want to leave it to the judges for the losing fight at any time. That's what happens. You just got to leave it to the judges and their opinion. So uh, I think Josh Emmett more than deserving as the winner of this fight, but at this stage going into the third, I have it one apiece. So sitting down for the third round now, very interesting to see how it plays out from here. Round three complete now, as we're about to head into the championship round. So this is definitely where the fight is won and lost. Although you could argue that the fight has already been won unless there's a stoppage, which we know that there wasn't. So. Josh Emmett, uh, he definitely won that round, in my opinion. He's up 2-1. In terms of the damage, like, he definitely is starting to wear on Kelvin Cater. In terms of intent, like, Kelvin started to step it up and start swinging a bit more and going for it, but Josh Emmett has had the more in, or more of the intent throughout the entire fight, so I've got to give him his credit there, and intent is definitely something that I'm looking for. In terms of control... No clinching or any grappling exchanges, no takedowns or anything like that. But Josh Emmett, in terms of control, he's dictating the pace. He's pushing Kelvin Cater back. And Kelvin Cater, who's one of the biggest hitters in the featherweight division, has not been able to implement his game plan. Unless this is his game plan to just keep sticking to those jabs, which were very effective in the second round, but much less so in the third round, once Josh Emmett really started to get going. So... Yeah, I I think the control definitely to Josh Emmett. So my verdict at the moment, I have Emmett up 2-1. Otherwise, there's definitely a case that Emmett could just be up 3-0 right now. But, uh, like, I did have Kader in the second round. But, yeah, I'm I'm one who tries to see things from both sides. And you can absolutely make a case that Josh Emmett is up 3-0 right here. So this next 10 minutes is where Kelvin Kader absolutely needs to step up and put the foot on the pedal and get going. Because otherwise, yeah, Josh Emmett, we know he wins, but I'm looking at this from a perspective of just the way I'm looking at it now. And Kelvin Cater needs to clearly and dominantly win these next two rounds. But we'll see how it goes. Entering the championship rounds now, round four coming up. Okay, well, only one round to go now. Just sat down and watched round four. Going into the round, Kelvin Cater's corner talked to him about needing urgency. He needed to let it go. Whatever the issue was, whatever it was that was bothering him, turns out it was Josh Emmett loading up. Uh, he, He needs to forget that, and it is round four. He needs to get going. As far as the damage, I give it to Kelvin Cater. Emmett is absolutely bloodied, and he rocked him toward the end of the round. That was the big moment. Like, Kelvin absolutely wobbled Emmett. And that was the first first instance of someone really getting significantly rocked. So that was the big moment of round four, Calvin Cater rocking Josh Emmett. In terms of control, I went Josh Emmett at the start, but then once Calvin Cater got going toward the end of the round, I thought Calvin Cater started to wrestle some control. His striking, look, Calvin Cater I thought had the better striking, although Josh Emmett was mixing it up more with some body shots and leg shots, whereas Kelvin Cater was predominantly boxing, but toward the end of the round, he really started stepping it up and getting an advantage in terms of the significant strikes. The intent was there from both of them, but Kelvin Cater definitely started to show more intent in that fourth round and the execution I give to Kelvin Cater, although Josh Emmett did finish the round very, very strong. So my verdict is that it is two apiece at the moment. As we know, Josh Emmett ends up getting the decision win But I'm going to sit down and watch this fifth round. In my opinion, it was all up for grabs in this fifth round. 
Maybe it wasn't, but let's just sit down now and watch it. Fifth and final round of this main event from Austin, Texas. Kelvin Cater and Josh Emmett in the featherweight division with huge implications on ter- in terms of future title shots. So going into this fifth round, I have it to a piece. Don't think the judges did, but now I'm going to sit down and I'll be back in a moment with my thoughts and comments. All right, now the final round done and dusted. Very contrasting corners. Josh Emmett's corner telling him that he's up three rounds to one and that he almost has this in the bag, whereas Calvin Cater's corner tell him, tell him that they have no idea what's going on. I'd be much more on that level, and they, they just say, you've really got to step it up in this fifth round. And that's exactly what Kelvin did. In terms of the damage, he had more of the damage. He really pulled around uh, away in rounds four and five in terms of the striking numbers, which that's kind of where the difference was. Like round two seemingly was that swing round, which really was crucial in this main event. And Josh Emmett, it seems like the judges favored him there. Uh, that's my belief. I'm not exactly sure which round, but Kelvin Cater moved away or ahead very clearly in the strikes in what was a very even first three rounds. So I give the damage to Kelvin Cater. I give the striking to Kelvin Cater in round five. Uh, In control, I give it to Kelvin Cater for round five. He was moving forward a lot more, putting a lot more pressure on Josh Emmett. His intent was there, as was the execution. So my verdict was 3-2 to Kelvin Cater in terms of the rounds. I thought forward pressure was vital though, so I can absolutely see why Josh Emmett got the win. I have no complaints over the result. My verdict is just my verdict. Like I'm not complaining, I'm not saying there was any robberies. Josh Emmett truly deserving of getting the win, but my verdict, three rounds to two to Kelvin Cater. So if you haven't seen the fight, maybe go and watch it yourself. Everyone has their own opinion, so maybe you'll have a different one to mine, maybe you'll have a different one to the judges, but that that's what's always interesting hearing everyone's opinions out as long as they're constructive and not fully ridiculous uh, and this was a very close contest and this is exactly why they say you don't want to leave it to the judges in Kelvin Cater's case now overall looking at the fight as a five round contest I gave da- uh, the damage to Kelvin Cater uh, I thought that cut over Josh Emmett's face may have been deceiving maybe that was like not telling as to how resilient and durable Josh Emmett was and maybe the cut made him look more damaged than he was but I do give the damage to Kelvin Cater in terms of control I give it to Josh Emmett he was moving forward for the first three rounds Kelvin Cater he was just not in his element at all so control definitely to Josh Emmett intent to Josh Emmett as well whilst Kelvin Cater he decided in rounds four and five that he was going to really step it up and pull away on the striking numbers. Ultimately, the first three rounds, the intent was there from Josh Emmett. He was the one coming out to really win this fight rather than trying to, you know, get through unscathed. Or that's not really the right way to put it. Maybe just, I don't know, trying to, they're both such powerful knockout artists. So you've definitely got to respect who your opponent is. But Josh Emmett, he definitely won the intent battle, I believe, throughout that first three rounds. In terms of takedowns, nothing really there to report on. And striking, as I mentioned, Kelvin Cater. So I had it 3-2 Kelvin Cater. The judges had it for a split decision, Josh Emmett win. No complaints over that. We saw it differently, myself and the judges, but congratulations to Josh Emmett. No shade to be thrown on that win for him. He did say he wanted the title shot next. Uh, I like. I would not complain again at all. If he gets the title shot, I would have been happy. If Kelvin Cater was next up, if he got the win here, although there are some emerging contenders as well, the likes of Arnold Allen, uh, Arnold Allen, not Allen, immediately come to mind. Uh, but I do think Josh Emmett. Like I, I would not complain if he gets a title shot next. He's worked very hard to get to this point. So. Congratulations to both men and everyone involved in what was a highly entertaining card. Now for Josh Emmett, we wait and see what's next. If it's not a title shot, well, I'd say he's one more win away from one. So it's very, very big win for Josh Emmett, the biggest of his career. Whilst Calvin Cater just can't seem to get over that final hurdle of the five-round main event, 
where he's positioned where like next up could be a title and he just can't seem to get over that hump but still very very quality and I think we'll see a big bounce back from Kelvin Cater so very excited to see what's next from both of these guys and Josh Emmett in the end getting a win do not be surprised if at some stage maybe we see these guys run it back before all is said and done but Josh Emmett on the night he was the better man in the judges eyes so congratulations to Josh Emmett he's done a fantastic job uh, in return to action after the longest layoff of his career recently on a pay-per-view card got the win has come back here in a five-round main event got it done looked really good in doing so didn't look too gassed at the end of the fight either seems like he'd hold up over a five-round contest so ultimately Josh Emmett gets it done moves himself one step closer to that title shot he so badly craves so Josh Emmett getting it done speaking of that I've just got this podcast done that's all I had to report on go through the cards so many fucking awesome knockouts some submissions as well shout out Kevin Holland and a couple of decisions ultimately the main event going to a very close decision but Josh Emmett the one getting it done so that is it from me I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and do remember that if you did enjoy don't forget to follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report and on whatever podcast platform you are listening on you'll be able to see as soon as new content drops and now it is time for me to go and finish put the finishing touches on my preview and predictions for this weekend's fight night card coming up Uh, so i'll be going through all the fights coming up this weekend giving my thoughts going through all all the things their styles their gym uh some of the narratives form everything work out exactly where i think the cards are going to lay as far as their performances and i'll go through and pick my winners so a lot to look forward to i'll be getting into that now and that should be out pretty soon so again podcast on instagram not just a sports report and follow us on whatever platform you're listening on and yeah you'll be able to see as soon as the preview and predictions is out if you don't listen to that well with fight night thoughts and comments is more your thing don't forget as well this sunday australian time i'll be sitting down going through the fight night card from start to finish That'll be a live reaction, so a little bit different to this one. It'll be while the card is actually going on. uh, And I'm really looking forward to it. And so thank you very much for listening. Your support, much appreciated as always. And that's it from me for tonight. So until the preview and predictions podcast, have a great night and take care of yourselves.